Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You special edition. Today is Sunday, November 18th, and today we are having a Step 4 panel. A Vision for You, as many of you know, is dedicated to the study of the Big Book, which contains the program of recovery. It is a step-by-step guidebook for recovery. And, of course, the main object of the Big Book is to enable us to find a power greater than ourselves, which will solve our problem. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Lack of power is our dilemma. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to care of God as we understand him. Now, step three, deciding to turn our will and our life over to a higher power is a vital and crucial part of our recovery. But this decision will have little or no effect unless you can follow it up with action. Our first action step, step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step four, We have three recovered compulsive overeaters here this morning who are going to share with us their experience related to step four. I welcome this morning Sarah, Rick, and Judy F. to the line. They will each share their experience with us, and then we will have a period of question and answers to follow. And at this time, I welcome Sarah to the line. Good morning, Sarah. Sorry, unmuting. Good morning. Can you hear me? We can. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Good morning, a vision for you. My name is Sarah, and I am a compulsive overeater from New York. And I'm, and I'm, I'm learned to say I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from New York because, thank God, um, I have been relieved of this obsession and this. this call for food as my solution to my problems. This is the first time I'm doing this, so I'm exceedingly nervous, so I hope that God will put the right words into my mouth to share um, what step four and how step four has been, um, step four was such an incredibly liberating experience for me. Just to um, start out and give you, like, just introduce myself and get, so you just get to know a little bit about, just a little bit about where I was coming from into this program. Um, so, you know, it, it took me a while till I really um, conceded to my innermost self that this was indeed, um, that I'm a compulsive overeater. Because when I was young, growing up, I um, we, we moved around. When I was little, we moved around a lot, and I never had... Um, a consistent place. I never had consistent friends. I never had consistent anything. I didn't have consistent schools. I didn't have consistent friends. There was nothing um, that was consistent about my life. And um, and the challenges, my family, I, I grew up in a family of compulsive overeaters, of what I didn't know then was a compulsive overeater, but I knew had absolutely abnormal relationships with food. And 
watching them and observing them in my youngest youth, I, I, I did not want to be like them. I did not want to become obese. I did not want to become bulimic. I did not want to, um, I didn't want to look like them. And I thought, um, I kind of isolated myself a little bit from them in my world, and I thought that I would be the normal one, that I would watch them in their illness being a very young child. I didn't, I thought that I would be sane in their insane world. And you know, I was full of judgment in that. And then I, I grew up and I I left because it was really insane. And my mother um, sent me out to, to live away from home for my high school years because she was just as aware as how dysfunctional my family was as I was. And, um, and there, so, um, and there I, I did very well. I lived with a, a quote, normal family. Um, I learned how to eat real food and not just junk food, and I and I gained weight over those high school years, and I gained weight, and um, I was I was born overweight. Um, my elementary years, I was overweight. I had facial hair. I did not have um, always insecure. Always felt different. So I thought that it was all my family's fault, and that I'd somehow leave and everything would be okay. And to a large degree it was because um, when I moved out of my house, I increased my spiritual life. I had joined a youth group and I had made friends for the first time in my life. I had I had a quote, normal life. And through that, um, on page one, in, in in that youth group, I ended up being the chapter president in that youth group and I was um, spreading knowledge about God. So I, it was really like a, I was leading a much more consistently God-centered life. And then, um, so eventually when I came into program, the thoughts that, that I connected to very much were on page one. I fancied myself a leader, for had not the men of my battery given me a special token of appreciation. My talent for leadership, I imagined, would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which I would manage with the utmost assurance. One of my biggest fears as a child was being alone and not being connected to the outside world. So here, I was connected to the outside world. I was doing good things, and um, and it a lot of it became about me. And that's not a good place. <laughs> that's not a good place. So by the time I, you know, I graduated high school, by the time I, I was 19, um, the end, I was almost 20, um, I got married. I got married and um, to exactly the kind of person I was looking for. And by the time I was 30, I had five children and life was becoming more and more challenging. Life was becoming more challenging financially, um, physically, and, and my children had multiple needs, and they were different. And, you know, being uh, a child of a compulsive over being a, a child of the addictive personality and then having children of my own who had their own strong personalities and and developmental delays and issues – I I defaulted to my childhood self of of dysfunction and I 
I was not managing life. I was not managing life. Food was taking on a much more importance. Now, in high school, when I was, you know, fancying myself a leader, there was a lot of parties. Food pleasure-seeking was something that I, I didn't really mention, but as a child, I lived in front of the television set with the ice cream container in my hands. I didn't want to have to work. I just assumed, you know, I was little, so everybody was going to take care of me, and all I had to do was watch TV and enjoy good food, and that was how I was going to connect with everybody in the world. And I defaulted to that. I defaulted to that pleasure-seeking. I defaulted to that um, just for that sense of ease and comfort, like it says in the doctor's opinion. Um, men and women eat essentially for that um, – one second, where is it? Um well, whatever, because I want to get to step four. They, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit as an injurious, they cannot, after a, a time, differentiate the true from their from their false. To them, their alcoholic seems the only normal one. So to me, that was the only normal one because that's the one of my of my youth that I grew up with seeing, and it's kind of where I defaulted to. So, you know, with all my my religious learnings and 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 teachings and involvements and growth there was some kind of disconnect between this God of my understanding that I had kind of directed my life to and how he was going to relate to why was I defaulting to food and to that pleasure-seeking and not to him. And life became more and more unmanageable until food was just like, and I'm a, I'm a, I've always been a closet eater, so I would hide until I found myself more and more eating the garbage off of, my, you know, the leftovers off my kids' plates, becoming a human garbage pail in my home, hiding behind the refrigerator, hiding behind the closets, hiding, um, waiting till everybody was asleep, hiding, you know, in that cellophane bag to take away the pain of the powerlessness that I had over my over my children, over their lives, over my family, over myself, over everything. Life was just out of control. And um, in 2007, I had a friend who was in program. She had lost over 100 pounds. She had like this look of serenity on her face, and I just, I'd asked her, I need to come into this program. And I had, um, you know, on page eight, it, it describes exactly how I felt. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol, but really food, was my master. I was turning to food more and more and more. I was gaining weight. I had quit my job, fancying myself a leader to go and, and make money on my own, not needing to, so that I could make my own hours and do my own thing. I was self-will run riot, was completely controlling my life, and I had was so sick and so nauseated with myself. I knew there was nowhere to go but to program. I had seen the transformation in my friends, and I wanted it, and I wanted it badly, and I binged my face off that last day before I went to that meeting. It was so full of self-loathing. It was disgusting. So I went to that meeting, and, um, and I joined the program of abstinence. And for two years, I really just um, was focused on abstinence and um until that, you know, abstinence wasn't solving my problem because I still felt, yes, it was it had removed the allergy, it, like the withdrawal was, ugh, but I, I had cleared away the fog of the food, but I hadn't cleared away the fog of 
me trying to control my life, me feeling responsible to control my life, the martyr mom, um, and feeling responsible for everybody else's happiness, including my own, which I could not create. And um, finally, I, you know, fast forward, um, about two years after this program of abstinence, I had found someone with really strong recovery, and um, I had asked him to be my sponsor to take me through the steps because I knew that if I, unless I worked through these steps, I was not going anywhere. And and he did. So step one, you know, I had really um, putting down the food, looking at my life, I had really conceded to my innermost self that I um, I had learned the lesson that's on page 30. We learned that we had to fully concede to innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or presently may, presently may be had to be smashed. I had to smash that, that illusion that I would ever be normal, that I would ever be I would ever be able to eat normally, I would ever be able to have mastery over myself and my world on my own power because I had, that's what I had, was totally suffering from, this need to live life based on my own power. And um, so, I had, so in my assignments in step one was to, was to make a list of the, all the areas of my life that I was powerless over and, to, and how they made my life unmanageable. And it was it was very revealing to me just how powerless I was, just how unmanageable my life was. And then um, very quickly moved, well, because I had years of experiencing step one, I had moved, I needed to go through these steps, I needed to do them quickly, I needed to recover. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I needed to let go of my power. I needed to um, surrender. And that, and doing this, these steps for real, this, you know, I had been in program before. I had tried to do these steps. I had made a lot of lip service, but I hadn't really surrendered into my innermost self, and I had to let go of that. And I'm just going to really fast forward to step four. Anyway, steps one, two, and three, I had to really look at how my life was unmanageable, how my life was insane, what did a sane life look like. And step three really um, – made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And I needed to really look at what um, this God, who God is in my world and in my life and how I understand him and how he was going to, to help me solve my problem and how I was going to serve him in order for him to do that. It was in what I had to be a partner with God in my own healing. And, and that partnership, what's required in that partnership is step four, is to really take a fearless, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And and I had to do that. And I had to do that. And my sponsor says, you are going to do everything in the planet before you get to that step four. You're going to clean your garage. You're going you're gonna to organize your house. You're going to have everything because this disease wants to destroy you. And it's going to do everything in its in, that in its power to keep you out of doing what you need to do. And he was so right <laughs> because there was everything that kept coming up and kept coming up and it was holding me back from doing this. And so finally I said, you know, I made a decision. I must do this. And I parked myself down and I, and I made the columns and I just, 
I did what needed to be done. So here were the instructions that I was given because step four is what this day is about. And, you know, as we're doing, we're, we are learning this in a vision for you um, currently, which is great. But just my experience around this was, so I, ha I was taught that I need to read, I needed to read um, pages 63 through 71, and I was also told that I need to read step four in the AA 12 and 12. And, you know, I was, the big book is incredibly instructive um, around how to do this because I tend to overcomplicate things and I overanalyze things and I da 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 da. And I was taught just do it like the book says. And the book says, you know, just to read through, um, the, first of all, the importance of this step four. Um, we had to launch, you know, this decision requires action, and, and that was very clear. Um, on page 64, though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless at once, followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. So that was my first hurdle was strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. So my default was to hide behind the things that were um that I needed to face and be rid of because I was afraid of removing the blockage because the blockage was an excuse for me to continue living the way I was living and having to do this inventory had to require of me a a face and a trust that there was something beyond that. My, even before doing this step four, my life was um, a mass of confusion, um, uh, just a whole stew of emotions, a lot of emotions, a lot of confusion, and, um, and a lot of guilt, and a lot of guilt. On page um, here, page 62, I was living in, every time I looked and faced at my, my resentments, the people in my world, I kept going back to, so our troubles we think are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run right, though he usually doesn't think so. This... Um, this selfishness, the self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. So all this I knew was the source of all my problems, this selfishness, but it, I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. So I needed to do this inventory. So what did we do? What, how do we do this inventory? So I was instructed, just do what it says. Just do what it says. Keep it simple need to get the causes and conditions. I was told to read until um, until page 64 where it says, in dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. We listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. Stop there. And I needed to first organize and get clear and just write out who are these people that keep coming up for me, that I keep... Um, 
that I keep resenting? Who are these people that I'm blaming for all of my problems? Who are these people that and these institutions that are the cause of my guilt, that are that are the cause of my jealousy, the cause of my fears? I came into this program because I was terrified. I was terrified of looking like my ending up looking like my parents. I was terrified of my own lack of control and I was terrified to face the truth of my life because I was so terrified that I was responsible for the whole mess and I had no idea how I was going to get out of it. And I and I needed to just trust blindly to just do this process, to do this process with courage. It took such courage to sit down at that park bench and say, the rest of the world can go to pot. I'm going to sit here and do this. And I sat for hours and hours just writing. I had made my list already and I had made a decision. I've got to face this. And once I did that, and it took me a couple of times because there was just a number of people I had to go, you know, I was taught I have to be fearless and thorough. I need to go back to my earliest childhood. I had to uncover and disclose all of my deepest, darkest secrets. And I was already in such a vulnerable place because I had already disclosed how unmanageable, I had admitted already the unmanageability of my life. I was so raw. I felt like I was in an intensive care unit after after heart surgery and it was like you couldn't really touch me because if you touched me I'd wince I was in such a raw place but it was it was raw and it was just like in the intensive care just like open heart surgery it was a fact finding process that was that would liberate me and a business which takes no inventory usually goes broke um on page 64, one object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods to get rid of them promptly and without regret. I needed the courage to just not analyze my life, not cause the blame, just look at it, just look at it. And and I did it. And I just, this is a thing that you can procrastinate and procrastinate and procrastinate. And my experience taught me that, somebody just tell me how much time I have, because um, I could just go on and on. Um, just take your time. Okay. Um I I needed to to just look at this and just put it on paper and to to get it down. I didn't honestly, I didn't when I got this all out, it was kind of like I was vomiting it out onto the paper and I didn't really analyze um yet because I had to do part 4. So let me let me be clear about this. I was instructed that I needed um here in in the big book, it looks like there's only three columns in step four, but really there's four because um, – so here it teaches us in the big book. So we make a list of – I made four columns, who I'm resentful at, the cause, what did they do to me, and I had to just simplify. I had, I had to – I like to – you know, I'm a storyteller, so I get a little bit long-winded. I had to, you know, break it down. What is the issue? And I had to be – to get clarity around that. Why am I resentful at this person? What did they, how did they hurt me? And how, what did it affect in my life? And it was so helpful. This big book gives us the words. What was it? Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations? I needed to just look squarely at that. And um, so how did, what did it affect in my life? And then after I regurgitated all of this self-righteous resentment and and anger and fear and jealousy 
I mean, I was so thorough. I was. I wrote about every person in my class who I was jealous of, who had this life that I thought that somehow I deserved, but didn't. And and you know, the people who didn't have facial hair, the people who who were the leaders and didn't just fancy themselves the leaders, the people who who were normal. All I wanted so desperately was to be normal, like everybody else, and I wasn't. Um, and. Um, and then after that, we turned back to the list. So on page 66. So I needed to, to look at all this. Um, hold on. Okay. So we turned back to our list for it held the key to our future. We were, pe- we were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. How could we escape? That was my deepest question. How am I going to escape this? We saw that these resentments had to be mastered, but how? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. This was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God, save me from being angry. Thy will be done. And um, and then, so this helped me soften my perspective and helped me soften the the, the self-righteousness and the... Um, that emerged when I looked at the manipulation of my of my family, my parents, my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles, my sister. Um, then it says, referring to our list again, this list in step four is is a key that unlocks the door to to everything to everything. Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs that others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. And this was step this was the fourth column. This is where I needed to look. Where had we been where had we been selfish, dishonest, self seeking and frightened? Um Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly, and we were willing to set these matters straight. This, um, and, I, and I went through, um, and I had to, to look at this. Now, I had to do this a lot with the help of a sponsor because I wasn't always able to see. I wasn't always able to see, and only when I would really get quiet and and look honestly, and, and a lot of it came out when I gave it over in step five. That's really, whoa. <laughs> saw things I never saw, was were, was taught things that I never could see. Anyway, so then moving on, after I did this whole inventory of the people, of the resentments that were going to kill me, that were going to kill me, um, I was already at a place where now I'm like, I'm trying to look at it through God's eyes. You know, before I had started 
this um, this process, before I even started with step one, I forgot to mention that my sponsor had instructed me that for 30 days I needed to read page 86 through 88 on awakening. I needed to learn how the discipline of directing my thinking to become a God-centered thinking, to ask God to direct my thinking, to ask God to, when agitated or doubtful, to ask God to constantly, constantly, constantly check in with him throughout the day to learn that discipline. And and it was like instilling in me a new discipline. We we alcoholics are undisciplined. We ask God to discipline us. Um, we let So we let God discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined. Granted that on awakening is after step not step ten, you know it's it's right before step ten, eleven, where you know it's it's before step twelve. But it was it was helping that re, having to read that for thirty days before I started the steps helped me get out of my own way of thinking that I had the answers that I had to have the answers. I needed to tap into a into the God's power within me, into the part of within me that God would reveal to me if I sought honestly what i needed to see so then i had to move on to what this list wasn't enough i needed to do a fear inventory as is instructed in the big book notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with mr brown mrs jones the employer and the wife this short word somehow touches upon about every aspect of our lives it was an evil and corroding thread the fabric of our existence was shot through it so i needed to do a fear inventory I needed to um there's so much you know at my time is short i'm gonna i'm gonna i know that there's two other people and i'm gonna wrap it up but um step four in the a a twelve and twelve is so illuminating as to um as to motivations as to behaviors that I couldn't even see were so were so distorted and, and I couldn't even see them. And I'll just give you a couple of, of examples in the AA 12 and 12 that just um, that I highlighted that are just so um, so overwhelmingly honest. <laughs> we wish to look page 43, and um, we wish to look squarely at the unhappiness this has caused others and ourselves by discovering what our emotional deformities are. We can move towards their correction. Without a willing and persistent effort to do this, there can be little sobriety or contentment for us. That's such an important statement. Without a willing and persistent effort to do this, there can be little sobriety or contentment for us. Without a searching and fearless moral inventory, most of us have found that the faith which really works in daily living is still out of reach. I've spoken to so many people in program who who struggle, who are struggling with their food, struggling with their food, and they haven't really done, surrendered themselves and have been willing to confront this and do this as a as a as a high priority as the as the number one priority to be willing to persistent you have to really be committed to look at this it takes courage it takes fearlessness to really face those fears and and i just want to talk about that fear inventory for a minute i know i'm going all over the place there's so much that i would want to share um that fear inventory i needed to there's um in the big book awakening there's a there's a workbook um that I used their template. I was instructed to use their template on the fear inventory to really look at 
at, the, at my fears, and I had a whole list of fears. Such a fear-driven person. And um, I looked at all those fears, and, I, and, and it, it just broke everything down to one core fear. And the one core fear that it, like it all broke down to everything. What's going to lead to this? And what does that mean? And why is it going to lead to this? And what does that mean? And what is it? And, and, and then if that, then what? Then what? Then what? Then what? What's going to happen? What is the core fear? And the core fear was always being cut off from God, being alone and him not being okay with me. And if, if that's my core fear, then this step work is vital, it's vital because then I can let go and trust that I'm submissive and I'm surrendering my will to God's will. And I'm still new. I'm like an embryonic person. And, you know, I listen to all the recovery of people here 25 years doing this work. And I'm just, you know, not 25 years doing this work. I'm, I, I learn and I, and I get hope that this will constantly disclose more and more new things. So just... Um, that fear, being able to, to, to break down all those fears and, and show my, and be able to see, and my sponsor worked me through all those fears, those 25 fears at least, of, of being controlled, of being manipulated, of all the things of other people, um, and, and, being, and being able to break that down of what that meant at its core was very liberating, and that's why you have to do this with a recovered sponsor. You have to do this with someone who's walked this this path before you because there's so many things that I couldn't see. Um, just back in the AA 12 and 12, page 53, but it is from our twisted relations with family, friends, and society at large that many of us have suffered the most. We have been especially stupid and stubborn about them. The primary fact that we fail to recognize is our total inability to form a true partnership with another human being. Our egomania digs two disastrous pitfalls. Either we insist upon dominating the people we know or we depend upon them far too much. It's amazing how insightful the writers of this of Bill and all these recovered people, how they fearlessly and honestly really look at the truth about what my life looked like, what what I've seen a lot of our lives look like, and um, and I, I know I've already used up my time. I just um, this step four, the bottom line for me, what this step four required and provided was it required for me to set aside everything else in my life to recognize its importance to commit myself to sit my my seat in the chair my pen in my hand and to and to to pray to god to give me the eyes to see and the heart to understand what exactly i needed to let go of and to get rid of and to see my part in it see my part in it and then you know, step five, well, that's a whole miracle in and of itself. But even this alone um, was the beginning of just flushing away all the, the dirt that I felt like I was living with all the time. And um, 
like, I don't know where I'm going to end, but I guess I'm just going to end with that. <laughs> I encourage everybody to really just surrender and to to read these, this big book, this instruction booklet, and the AA 12 and 12 with um, with a humble heart and 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 a fearless desire to to genuinely do God's will and to to see what what's so terrifying to look at but it's so liberating and allow God to hold your hand in the process and help you do what you could never do on your own. Then I'll just pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. And now we welcome Rick to the line. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, uh, Vision for You. My name is Rick. I'm a compulsive reader. And as a result of doing these steps and following these directions, um, I have a I have a different life. As as a result of doing this work, I have found that there is a God of my understanding. There is a God in my life, and I'm able to turn to that God. I'm still learning quite a bit, and that is a transformation. So in that sense, I am recovered. I I am have been restored to sanity. So grateful to be here today. Um, step four, <clears throat> kind of, well, kind of give you a little background. I was an overweight kid all my life. Um, not extremely huge, but I was an overweight kid. I was a fat kid on the baseball team was a fat kid in the family, a fat kid in the neighborhood, fat kid in the classroom, so I've been there. Um, I've been 100 pounds heavier than I, than I am now. I weigh about 180 pounds. I didn't, I didn't lose the full 100 pounds in OA, but I did take off about 60 pounds since I joined OA. Um, couple of things. Um, I, I when I tell my story I I have to also say that I'm an alcoholic and it's important to say that because I I was a sober alcoholic for twenty years and I never picked up the steps. So I was not one of these alcoholics that came into OA knowing everything. I came into OA thinking that all I had to do was put on the on the food just like I put down the booze. But I found out that didn't that didn't quite work. For some reason I was not able to do that. And um at some point when I finally put down the flour and sugar products and other binge foods, I got this feeling of what now? What do I do now? And I had heard so many people talk about working the steps and talking about spirituality and things of that nature, that I thought maybe that's a good idea. Maybe I ought to go that direction. And fortunately, when I came upon that thought, I was abstinent. So I didn't get abstinent in order to do the steps. I became abstinent and then figured out that it's time to do the steps. So uh, it it happened in the right uh, sequence even though I didn't plan it that way. So when I decided to uh, take a look at the steps, there was a few things that happened 
that were very, very important. Um, a friend had given me a website uh, put together by a big book teacher that was uh, extremely informative. But that was prior to myself getting abstinent. And I looked at it and I said, that's nice. And I shut down the website. I bookmarked it and never looked at it again. But once I did uh, put down my binge foods, a couple other things happened. One, I started calling into phone meetings just like this one and talking to you people, and I heard what the sound of recovered people sounded like. And I was also, excuse me, I was also able to hook up with a meeting near my town. Now, it happened to be an AA meeting. And it was a very serious, well-structured, big book meeting. And I heard several people, one after another, talk about being sober for 10 or 15 years. And they talked about having something called untreated alcoholism. After I heard that the third time, I asked the guy next to me, I said, what's that? And he said, dry drunk. And I knew what they were talking about at that point. Well, what I found out that there were meetings just like that that were dedicated to the compulsive overeater. So I was able to find a meeting. I was quite a ways away, uh, about 50 miles away, uh, about an hour and 15-minute drive when the traffic was light, sometimes an hour and a half. And I started attending that meeting. A, A friend was going, and I met him halfway, and we drove into the meeting. It was just so different than any um, AA meeting I had gone to or any OA meeting that I had gone to. And these people spoke about working the steps and changing their life as a result of it. And at the same time I was going to those meetings, those face-to-face meetings, I was finding you guys on the telephone talking about the same kind of transformation. So as I was at that meeting for a few weeks, I got the courage up to ask somebody to be a sponsor. And um, the, way the, the way the meeting ran was you don't talk unless you've gone through the steps. And I like to talk, so I wanted to go through the steps. And I, I kind of make a joke of that, but um, that was part of the reason because I thought I had something to offer. But I also knew that I had better get busy and I had better do this work. Otherwise, I would have no credibility no matter what I said. You know, so my intellect was telling me I had plenty to say, but my heart told me I had nothing to say because I hadn't done the work. So I got a sponsor, and um, a guy who was a compulsive overeater had lost 150 pounds or so, and he was also an alcoholic, so it worked out very, very well. Um, he shared my illnesses, and um, it, it worked out nice. So I had to listen to uh, a few weeks of the meeting. We had to go through a whole cycle of the steps, what they were reading, and then uh, we read the book uh, 
up to page 64. He asked me if I had any questions. We discussed it. Um, we kicked around different things that we that were confusing and took a formal third step. And after we took the formal third step, he said, congratulations, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm saying, welcome. God, I've been around for 20-something years. But what he meant was, you're going to finally do what you were supposed to do all these years. And um, we started talking about the inventory. And he gave me um, some information and some handouts which helped me look for sources for resentments and information to write on the inventory. And I also uh, remembered that website that had been given to me probably six or eight or ten months before. And I opened that up and I um, listened to the talks that this gentleman had on his website. And I read his book. And I studied his directions, which were pulled right out of the big book. And I really loved the way he explained things. And what he had online was a set of forms, a, a set of templates to, uh, to do the inventory. So I mentioned it to my sponsor, and I told him what I had. Excuse me. Told him what I had found, and he wasn't too cool on the idea. He said, uh, you know, they, he had, there was kind of a tradition of how to do the inventory at that type of meeting. He wasn't too cool on it. He said, uh, why don't you get yourself a notebook and get some pens? So I said, okay. I got a notebook and got some pens. And I began, and I really didn't like the way it was working, so I pulled the template out. And I brought it in, and I showed it to him. I said, this is what I'm talking about. I, I'd like to know what you think. And he looked at it, and he said, wow, that's pretty good. Can I have a copy of that? So he allowed me to do it using the template that I had on, from online. And so the first thing I did was print out several copies of the form and um, start writing down names, names of resentments, uh, people, places, and institutions, people, people, institutions that I had resented. And the beauty about using the form is that it could be as big or as short as you needed it to be. I found when I tried to do it in a notebook, um, everything was in order, but it, in order of the way I put it down, but it may not necessarily have been in order of the way I wanted to go about investigating those resentments. So on these forms, I was able to dedicate an entire page to important people, such as my mother, my father, my siblings, um, people I worked with, um, the institution that I worked for, things that were going to take several pages, and I was able to add pages in as, as the, you know, the list of causes became longer. Um, so what I was able to do was break that inventory into parts, into into areas, and you know, I spent a lot of time 
about writing about my parents and my my mother and my father, my grandparents, and an awful lot of time writing about people I worked with. Um, I found that I had a tremendous number of resentments that was centered around my job. And um, I was able to just keep adding to that list when uh, resentments came to mind. And I'm not so much saying adding new people to the list, although that happened too, but I was able to put down as many causes for each and every item. And it was very thorough um, because I was able to, you know, keep going back and forth and add to it. Um, when I got through the list of resentments and the causes, then there's a series of boxes which asked um, how these resentments affect me, whether they affected my self-esteem, my security, my ambitions, my personal relations, my sex relations. And the instructions I had were to go through each column, for instance, self-esteem, and go through that entire inventory and see what causes and what resentments affected my self-esteem. And you would think it was—you would think it would be pretty easy, um, just putting check marks. But I found that that was not so easy. It, there was uh, indecision as I was going along the way, and you know, I would ask my sponsor, and what he told me was, "When in doubt, check it off, because it probably affects you in that way." So I went down each column and I checked off how those causes and how those resentments affected me. And um, I immediately started to see patterns. Um, it seemed like the same ways things affected me were checked off for every column with every resentment. When I, when I went to different resentments, I had different check marks. Um, things about my family tended to have more check marks. Things about uh, um, friends had different check marks. Things about working relationships were different. But there, there were patterns. So I started to see the patterns. I started to see where my, what, a, uh, what my role was in this. And um, when I got through with that, you know, I, I think I went over it with my sponsor and kind of, um, you know, discussed it a little bit. And then he started to instruct me on the last column. And he gave me some things that were very helpful. He gave me some definitions. He gave me a list of um, bullet points which described dishonesty. He gave me a list of bullet points which described self-seeking behavior. He gave me a list of bullet points that described uh, fear, um, you know, things such as, as uh, not getting what I wanted, not getting enough food, not getting enough money, not getting enough attention, not getting my needs met, uh, not being able to love somebody, not being able to love myself, not being able to be in touch with God, 
never fitting in, all kinds of things that helped me break down the causes and to see where my role was. And I don't know whether it was his instruction, and I believe it was, um, to go through each resentment and investigate how I was selfish about each one, how I was dishonest about each one, self-seeking about each one, and frightened about each one. And by looking at each one of those core character defects in regard to each resentment, it made me look really deep at it rather than just picking out the one that was glaring. And what it also did was saw, showed me an awful lot of patterns once again because I found I was writing the same thing under the same subtitle for different resentments. And I saw lots and lots of patterns. Um, and I found out that I could probably attribute um, each one of those defects of character to every resentment. And, you know, that's that's very helpful. It's helpful today when I do a uh, 11th step review of my day because what I do at the end of the day is I stop and I think, where have I been selfish today? Where have I been dishonest today? Where have I been self-seeking today? Where have I been frightened today? And because I was thorough when I did that fourth step inventory, those defects of character are easy to spot. And um, and as we know, when we're looking at steps 10 and 11, we're basically revisiting what we did in steps uh, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. So doing this work thoroughly is going to pay dividends when you move on also. Um, I guess the next thing to talk about is the fear inventory. And um, I had heard lots of people speak at meetings talking about, um, you know, fear of heights and fear of spiders and fear of the dark. And and when I discussed it with my sponsor, we kind of agreed that that wasn't, those weren't the type of fears we were going to look at unless I had fears that were causing me, you know, great amounts of pain and inter interfering with my life. And I, you know, I really didn't. I mean, sure, I was afraid of the dark when I was a kid, and nobody really liked the creepy crawly things when they were younger. But they weren't taking up space in my, in my head, and they weren't really causing me problems. So I didn't look at those. What I looked at was the fears that I noted on my inventory under the, the fourth pot, frightened. And I the patterns that I saw. And, you know, I saw things like fear of authority figure. And I saw that pattern appearing in a lot of places, not only bosses, um, police officers, teachers, but also in my parents. My parents were the ultimate authority figure, and there was fear involved there. So that helped me, you know, list list the fears. Um, there were some other fears that, you know, involved my 
um, my being overweight, you know, afraid of failure, um, you know, in sports and things like that, um, fear, fear of um, not being as good as other kids and things. So, you know, those did come up. But they and they also showed a pattern fear fear of uh, being inadequate, and uh, that fear of inadequacy can be traced back to my childhood, and it's also in my job today. It happened when I was in school, in relationships and things of that nature. Um, I had fear of financial insecurity, even though. I at the time when I'm writing was writing this and right now I I have no reason to have fear of financial insecurity but it's there and uh I had to look at it and you know why why was I fearful of not having a, enough money um it it shouldn't be a concern well basically it was because I was I was selfish and uh I had that fear because I I had, I basically worshipped that money, and you know we see that all in the big book where I was playing God. Or I, I had gods that were were warped, and money was a god. So I was able to look at it in those terms. Um, so there are other there are other fears that uh, I went down. You know, um, fear of being married, fear of not being married, fear of having kids, fear of not having kids. I mean, all those things ended up on the fear list. But most of them were, were right from the inventory. And um, what was I asked to do with them? Well, I was asked to um, go through in columns again and ask myself why I had those fears and go down the column again and list why I had those fears. What was it that was causing me pain? And then the next column, uh, did I not, my, uh, but did I not set the ball rolling myself? And I was asked to go through and look at what my part in those fears was. So again, I was seeing patterns. And the next column was how did self-reliance fail me? How did I think that I was going to take care of my problem, that my will would solve this problem. If I only thought about it long enough and thought about it hard enough and was smart enough about it, I could have, I could have solved that problem. Um, so why, why did I let myself down by getting the, setting the ball and rolling? And then the last column, what perhaps is a better way? And I heard many, many people at meetings that uh, the answer to what perhaps was a better way. And so often, the only answer I could come up with was trust the process, follow directions, um, trust God. And that was, that was the answer for just about everyone. Um, some of them, maybe I'd, I'd write things like, look at my own selfishness, look at my shortcomings. But we had all already done that in the other inventory. So... The answer was trust God. And I've heard many, many people at meetings that in that column, that's what they're writing every time. So that was the answer. And that's what I was, that's what I was missing. And isn't that the reason 
that we set out on this course, lack of power, and we're looking for power, and that power comes from God. So, of course, that's the better way. Um, then, you know, move on to the sex inventory. And um, the, the format was uh, list the people I had hurt. And then, so, again, make a list. And make the list first. You don't worry about why or where. You make the list first. You can always add names to the list, but you want to try to unload as much of it as possible. In the next column, where was I selfish, dishonest, and inconsiderate? So once again, what I did was for each name on the list, I tried to list where I was selfish, where I was dishonest, and where was I inconsiderate. And I was usually able to put something for each um, each defect for each person. And after going through that list, that column, the next column was, did I arouse jealousy? Did I arouse suspicion? Did I arouse bitterness? And I was able to, for each name, tell how I was jealous. Um, and not only jealous in the sense of... Um, you know, uh, that uh, desire type of jealous. But I see one here where jealousy, I put down that booze, alcohol was more important than this particular person. And it was certainly true. Um, I guess I was jealous because she didn't understand. She didn't understand that I just wanted that alcohol. No, I don't know if it's fits perfectly in with jealousy, but it certainly was the truth. Um, suspicion. This person um, saw my problems with alcohol at the time, so I aroused suspicion. And bitterness, well, hard to believe a person could be on this list without making them feel bitter. So that that was there throughout the list. Um, the next column was, where was I at fault? What did I do wrong? And I went through name by name and I wrote down what my part was and where I was uh, lacking. And um, some of the things were were similar, but then for each name there'd be something in particular where something might have happened or I might have been particularly selfish or done something particularly hurtful. And then the... Um, the last column, what should I have done instead? What should I do in the future? So the idea is to see where we were wrong and what we could have done to avoid causing harm to a person. And what do we do in the future? How do we treat people in the future? What do we learn from these mistakes? And I guess it says in the book that we're, we're developing an ideal for ourselves. And by looking at our past, we can be more aware of what we've done and hopefully not uh, repeat those actions in the past. So it was it was a you know a fairly uh, thorough inventory. I'm sure some have done them uh, more thorough. I'm sure some have done them less thorough. Um, but I did find it helpful to use a the uh, pre-printed template. Uh, helpful is the key word. I don't think it made it easier. 
I've had people call me up and uh, people mention to me they want instructions on using these forms because they don't care for the instructions that were given to them by their sponsor. Well, I'm not recommending this over any method. I would say trust that sponsor first. Don't don't listen to some guy on the telephone and figure he knows more than your sponsor because that's probably not the case. I'm not advocating for methodology. I'm just telling you what I did. And even even if you don't use this format, there it's helpful to give you instructions and prompts as what you might want to write and how to go about it. So there's many different ways to do the fourth step inventory. I've heard people talk about spending years and years and years writing the inventory, and that scared the heck out of me. I I didn't want any part of a, a, fi a five-year or six-year inventory. So when I heard people that said they got right to it and they did it in a matter of weeks or months, and I heard more than one person say that, I realized that it didn't have to take, you know, years. So I spent a significant amount of time. I'm fortunate. I have a lot of time off in the summer, and I spent a couple of hours for a couple of months writing this inventory. So it was not easy. It was not quick. But it didn't involve writing everything down that ever happened to me since I can remember. I, I did not do that. Um, some people have found it necessary, and I respect them for for their thoroughness. But it's not the way I was instructed, and it wasn't what made sense to me. Um, I I basically <clears throat> excuse me. I basically looked at things that was still taking up space in my head, things that was still causing me anguish and things that were repeating themselves, things that were causing me anguish over and over again, you know, things that were still going on, relationships with my family, relationships with my work, and relationship with friends. And those things were still causing me harm, so they certainly need to be corrected. So that's um, pretty much how I did the inventory and what I... Um, in general, what I found out. And I guess however you do it, the main thing is to be thorough and the main thing is to be fearless in searching. I had done one inventory prior to this one, but it was there were things that I left out and I knew that when I, when I did it. So when I got done with this one, I knew that I was, I was honest. I knew I had included everything and, um, it was a great sense of relief to have it done. And then I moved on to the fifth step, which every what when somebody asked me what's the, what's the hottest step? Well, the hottest step is always the next one, the one you haven't done yet, and that was so true. So anyway, that's enough for me. So I'll pass with that. Thanks. Thank you very much, Rick. Now we welcome Judy F to the line to share her experience on step four. Good morning, Judy. Good morning, Leah. Can you hear me? Yes. 
Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I am Judy S. from Massachusetts, and I'm a compulsive overeater and recovered today by the grace of God and the power of these 12 steps. Uh, really good to be here. I want to thank Sarah and Rick for um, wonderful shares and ex- their experience with this. Um, I have uh, told my story on Vision for You a couple of months ago, so I won't really go into much detail with that, but um, just to give you background, I, um, my absolute date is uh, uh, July 29, 1991. Um, so I've been um, absent and working these steps for 21 and almost a half years. And um, I have uh, experience with um, compulsive reading, binging, and then purging. Um, and there was a little anorexia um, in my story. And I've been um, maintaining um, a weight loss. I uh, have lost about, I've been 60 60 or 65 pounds heavier and um, 20 pounds lighter. So I have the full gamut of this uh, disease. And I do believe without reservation, I am convinced that I am a compulsive leader and that I am um, bodily and mentally um, this disease um, has affected me. And uh, when I came in on my accident date um, to a treatment center, got right into the big book um, and worked steps one, two, and three while I was in the treatment center, and then came out and got into a um, 12-step study group. And my experience is um, I had done 11 um, inventor- four-step inventories um, through different um, methods, uh, using the AA 12 and 12, the OA 12 and 12, um, the how question, um, and uh, the little red book that Taylor Lynn puts out for alcoholics. And so, um, I mean, they, they, were, they were definitely helpful, and I was absent, and my focus had really been on that, and... Um, and, you know, I did it. Um, they weren't thorough inventories. We had a certain time frame. They were with structured groups. And so we had a year, year and a half and to do all the steps and, and maybe four weeks to six weeks. Um, and it was to, my fourth step was the first one was just my history, like a food history. And, um, and then others, it was just my sponsor would say, you know, think of what you think you need to work on. Um, sometimes it, it was fear. Sometimes it was anger. But it, I had really little direction on how to do this four-step. Um, and it was basically, this is my experience with this, but um, writing down what came up uh, and then, you know, going to the fifth stop step and sharing it with and I and I did you know it was talking about a lot of character defects and that was the focus you know just I I didn't really have you know I would just you know write on and on about my defects but um, and I have to say I was absent and um, and relationships improved I you know my behaviors improved but anytime um, when I read the four step you know made a searching and fearless moral inventory um, and when I read that it um, in the big book and it would, you know, uh, it was thorough, I could never honestly say it was thorough. 
and um, and I always felt. And then when we talk about the, um, you know, spiritual awakening, I believe I had uh, definitely, and and a, a relationship with God I had built through those steps that those step studies. However, as looking back, and I I can be in denial um, in a lot of ways in my behavior and um, in my thinking and. As I look back, I was still self-reliant. Um, when it came to my food, I turned that over to God, to a sponsor, knew I was powerless, and my life would be unmanageable if I picked it up. And God definitely, I knew it was God helping me with that. But in other areas of my life, I was still kind of, you know, trying to be in control. And I was, and honestly, I wasn't happy. And and the the way it's in the big book, we are promised that we are going to live a free life, a, a free, happy, useful, sane life. And that would always be gnawing at me. Um, well, I guess this is okay. You know, this is better than it was, but I couldn't honestly say that I, I was happy and free. Um, and so um, it, uh, in 2003, I was 13 years absent, and people in my area were starting to go my OA um, people, some of them were starting to go to an AA meeting that studied um, the, the 12 steps as it's um, laid out in the big book, um, page by page, the directions as it is in the big book. And I was seeing real changes in people I knew and real personality changes. And I could never fully say, yes, I have a personality change. Yes, some things have gotten better. Definitely, but I was still restless, irritable, and discontent. And that is in. And when I I started going to those meetings, just having an open mind, and it hit me one night at the meeting when they um, it says, you know, we were having trouble with personal. This is on page 52, um, and we agnostics. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotion emotional natures. We were prey a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to others. And I had to be honest with myself that that was me. Um, I never really had, I, I sponsored people, but it a lot of times it's frustrating to me. They weren't like doing what I wanted them to do. And um, and my, my marriage was, it was okay. Um, and that was actually being a denial that it was really not okay. So anyway, so I, I was willing um, to listen, and so I listened through a whole series of the 12 steps, and then I found it, it really wasn't a choice in there. I knew I needed to do this, and I, I wanted something better than I had. And, um, and yet the disease was sort of coming in saying, you know, finding – I was being critical of the meeting, critical, well, I know, you know, why can't I um, share? Because they had said, unless you've been through this process, you know, we recommend you don't share. And um, and I had to go get through that resistance. And that's just like the self-will was coming up because the disease knew this was going to work. And I was going to be more free and, um, and really have that personality change. So I was... Um, I took a, um, a formal third step with my sponsor by getting on our knees. I had read the first 63 and a half pages. We read them together, got on my knees, said the third step prayer together, and she asked me, 
Um, are you um, willing and committed to um, work these steps um, as it laid out in the big book? And I said, yes. And she said, well, are you, um, will you be willing to bring it to other people? And I said, yes. So, and she said, this is a contract that you have with God. It's all about you and God now. Um, I'm just here to give you directions as to wait out in the big book and um, answer any questions. Um, but it really is about embarking on a journey with your higher power. And I had done, um, I did have a relationship at that time with the higher power, so I was ready to go. And so um, she had said, you know, uh, tell me, how much time you can give every day and commit to every day because each day she didn't have a requirement um, on the out and I, I was also in grad school at the time but I did commit to a certain amount of day and I did write every day. Um, I could see where the disease was coming in. Oh, you know, you're too tired to write or, you know, that, it, you know, it was glaring. I, I think it was um, Sarah who said, you know, the disease is going to rear its ugly head and, and going to try to convince me not to do this work, and um, it does take courage, but that commitment, I had to keep remembering to go back to that commitment. So um, before writing, um, each time my sponsor um, directed me to read the um, third step, and also at that time to read pages 84 to 88, because I needed to have God with me in this process. This wasn't about Judy and 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 doing this, and my sponsor, it was about God giving me, uh, she said it in this way, she said, um, you are the secretary, and God is your employer, and you're writing dictation, and God's going to tell you what to write down, and at first I thought, well, that's kind of hokey, but I, in the experience, I really saw, wow, like, I was surprised on what things were coming down, truly I was, and it really was God, so Every time I, I, um, I during during the morning I would um, read that on awakening um, till 88, um, and then at night I would read the um, 84 to 86, and so um, that um, and and then invite God in, um, say the third step prayer, and say I'm recording whatever you want, God, and and it would pen to paper. Um, for me, it's really powerful to get it on paper by my. Um, by pen, and if I was interrupted, she said, um, you know, go and do that, that same thing, the third step um, prayer, invite God in, and, and start writing, and so I was instructed, the first instru- instructions were to make that list, it was the resentment part to make that list, and, you know, names of people, institutions, and principles, so first it was people, and I did, like I had, and um, I did do it by chronological and just if it came up. Now, resentment, she talked about, you know, it's, you know, re-feeling. And if it came up that I was still having those feelings of, um, of anger or, or even jealousy or envy, any ill feeling. Um, she also said if I was walking down the street and that person was across the street, would I go and embrace that person or would I look the other way and run or, um, or, or have um, an ill feeling toward that person. So I did have a lot of people on, on I, um, I found my thinking, and this is all about looking at my thinking, and I truly, before the other inventories, never really looked at what, you know, before any action, 
or even feeling, it comes in my thinking. And my thinking was blocking me from the sunlight of God, from, from freedom. And, but I had to, this was real, a real magnifying glass into what I was thinking. It wasn't a surface. And how I look at it is like, you know, I can clean my home like once a week, vacuum, maybe dust a little bit. Um, and that's sort of how my other inventories were. But this is really getting into, you know, the cracks um, underneath, you know, um, where all that um, the dirt is and really cleaning up into the dark crevices of my mind because I would repeat things that happened long ago and it, I would take them into my current situation. And so a person might say something that's really like, I'm, you know, I'm not angry at them, but it, it brings up stuff back in the past that I've never dealt with, that I've never looked at, and I've never had God help to remove. So that's why I, um, it was very thorough. I, my, my sponsor at the end of the fifth, she said, Judy, this was thorough, and uh, and I thank God for that because I, I am one that just kind of wants to, you know, gleam over things, and it'll get better, um, just trust, but so um, without repeating um, what the others have said, you know, the, the resentment that it was any, you know, the ill feelings toward others. And then there were um, the, um, the institutions and, and then the principles. Like, um, you know, I would get mad, you know, when the, red, the yellow light would come on and I'd have to slow down. Like, no, just either, you know, green or red, none of this. I don't want to slow down like that. And I really saw my selfishness come up. So then um, so I was told to write the person. And then um, in the second column, so I wrote all the people, places, uh, the people, institutions, and principles. And then to go back to that and then to take each one and um, write that and then causes. And <clears throat> the causes, um, the big thing was, you know, it's what they did. Um, what they did, and um, be very succinct. She said, you know, this isn't about, you know, journal writing. It's really like, and be specific, um, not just, you know, they, they um, don't like me, but, you know, specifically what they did. Um, and, um, you know, avoid, you know, avoid using words like never or always, just, you know, real specific, um, because we had to get, you know, down to the causes and conditions. And um, and that was where, you know, this is about the diagnosis. In step one, the diagnosis was on powerless over food, um, volume, you know, certain binge foods, volume, and my life was unmanageable. So this is the diet. What's my diagnosis? What's the, what's the root causes um, that lead me back to the food, that lead me back to, um, you know, for self-reliance? Um, and so, you know, I also saw, um, you know, started seeing even patterns in that, what people, you know, what, you know, upset me that they did. And then the third, this is all on the left page, then the third column on the left page was what, what did it affect? What in me did it affect? Um, and these were, you know, you know the, the, um, the self-esteem. Um, and then I was given, I was given some sheets, and since then I've typed up um, sheets and borrow from different people so I can really give my sponsees, you know, clear um, explanations on what's in the book. But it comes right from the book. I mean, it's, 
um, it listed here on page 65, you know, the self-esteem and it, and, um, and, and again, it says, you know, we go back, nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty and with God there and taking that third step. And that's all I would, my son has just said, don't worry about who you're giving this to. Don't worry about the fifth. Don't even worry about the eighth and ninth. You're on the fourth step with God and God's just telling you what you need to get down on paper. And that was so important for me to do um, as a discipline because my mind wants to, you know, well, I don't know if I want to write this down because I'm going to have to then make amends to that. So, um, but for the effects, you know, um, it listed, you know, right here, and you notice that fear is beside um, everywhere self-esteem. And I found myself, it, this affected my, how I, what they did affected how I felt about me, my self-esteem. And, um, and that's what, you know, the self-esteem is how I feel about myself, my self-respect, self-worth, which is, when you think of it, it's kind of crazy. Like, this could be a crazy person, and they're going to affect how I feel about myself, you know. And, um, and underneath all of that is, like fear, like, fear would be underneath. And then ambition, like, they got in the way of what I, I my achievement or my recognition. And... Um, these were not bad. Inst- these are all instincts given to us by God, but I took it to the extreme where it immobilized me, and, and I became so self-reliant with it, trying to change the situation or, or change the person so I would feel better. So it's all about me feeling better, being comforted. Um, you know, my physical security, my personal relationship, you know, how what this person did or said is going to affect how, how I am with others, you know. It, um, but that, so that was really helpful. And, you know, um, we, but fear was always in there. And, um, and so, um, and that was like important thing for me to see. So um, the next part was on the, the right side of the page. I was then um, told to, um, it's called, they, they were called, in this meeting, they called it the turnarounds. And basically it was, you know, seeing my side of the street. And this was so helpful for me. I, for years in program, it was always, okay, Judy, look at your side of the street. But I really always had kind of an excuse on why I did something because of what they did. So I truly wasn't looking at my side, how I, this was self-imposed. And, you know, it goes back to before we come to the, um, on, you know, when they talk about self-centered, egocentric, people like to call it nowadays on page 61. And, um, you know, on page 62, there's a whole paragraph about self, you know, self-pity, self-thinking, self-delusion. I would just read that before, but it was truly this section of the four steps really helped me to see, wow, I am really self-centered. Everything is about me. And I really didn't think it went that deep and and it, that I put myself in these situations. I did think that they, they were wrong, and maybe in some ways they were, were, but if I still felt it 20 years later, then um, it, the problem was mine, and it was about me. So before we did the, um, and it's right from the big book, um, which I love because this is our textbook. It um, the turnarounds are on page 
Um, I had it out here. Let's see. Um, but oh, well, first I'll say um, before we wrote the turnarounds, my sponsor said to um, go to page 67 and say the sick man prayer, which um, it starts. Um, this was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God, save me from being angry. I will be done. So as Sarah had mentioned, this did soften my heart, and it did help me. Okay, granted, they're sick, but now let's look at, let's look at my, my side. So, um, and this is where, on, on the third paragraph of page 67, is where the, the, um, the, what we call the turnaround question. So um, I first wrote, where have we been selfish? And then there was where dishonest and then it was self-seeking and then frightened. And I had, um, I had written out those four. And so selfish, and again, my sponsor said, be very succinct, don't write journals, just get right to it. And I was fortunate to be given a handout which complained, I mean complained, <laughs> which explained um, the selfish um, part. Like, what did I really want? What I wanted? Um, or what I did not want, and then dishonest. There was a lot of things I learned about with dishonest. The big one was, what lie did I tell myself? I found in the past, I was telling myself lies, but because I told myself I thought it was true, like I told myself I, I was not okay, or I was less than this person, I was unworthy, or I told myself that I was better than that person, or I told myself I could judge others. Um, or I could judge myself. I told myself that God didn't care. Um, and then, you know, just as big dishonest in denial. I was in denial on what really, what was going on. Or I was making up stories to make myself feel good. So it was a whole list that um, I really, at first this took a long time for me to kind of understand dishonesty because um, I was riddled with dishonesty. And then the self-seeking, what behaviors did I do to get what I wanted? A lot for me was gossiping, um, criticizing others, um, thinking badly of them. Um, and so there were, or rolling my eyes, or, um, you know, just even in my head, um, I might not be saying anything to them, but in my head I had um, a negative um, view of them, um, and then of course you know being angry um, and obsessing was a big one, or trying to analyze, and then the fears, um, and then we listed fears. You know a lot of fear. I'm not going to get what I wanted. Fear. I am going to get what I want. Fear of what other people think of me. That was a big one. Fear of what other people think of me. Fear of having to do something I don't want to do. Uh, fear of. Um, someone telling me what to do. I hated that. Um, fear of um, losing what I have. So um, that was very helpful. So that was then the the fear, um, the resentment. And I did that, um, each of those for every cause and listed the effect, just as it is out 
outlined in the big book, page 65, and then what it affects, and then on the right side, listing down the selfishness, self-seeking, the selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, and fear. And I am so grateful over and over and over I did that. And there's something with repetition. They say the best way to learn anything is repetition. And boy, did I learn what was in my makeup, in my mind, and the truth. So then we went to the fears, and it says, you know, um, fear. Now the word, notice the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties, and uh, it's an evil and corroding thread. And that fear was, I was riddled with fear um, still. You know, just putting down the food, even just doing some four steps, but not getting deep enough, I could really see, you know, that, that fear. And fear is agitation, alarm, anxiety, or dismay, and anticipation of um, negative imagination. Boy, I would say, well, the worst case scenario, and I would just, I, and I, that was a way of my self-reliance taking care of my fear, like thinking, okay, this is the worst case scenario, um, and I would do that before by trying to make a decision. And it was my self-reliance, and that's what it gets down to. Um, the problem was I was trusting in myself instead of trusting in God. So I lifted my fears, and then it says we reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper. Um, we asked ourselves why we had them. So like Rick had said, um, we lifted them, and then I asked myself why I had them. And, um, and basically, you know, the bottom line was I was um, self-reliance failed me. That was really why I was, I, I was trying to um, be the solution and up to my fear. And, um, and there were a lot of ways I did that. And, um, and then it, you know, it asked, um, you know, it did ask, I did, um, why do I have it? And then, um, and then how is self-reliance failing me? And then that's where, um, I wrote out my self-seeking, like how I tried to make myself not fearful. And it was, um, you know, like I said, um, thinking about the worst case scenario or, um, and there were, you know, just a lot of different, uh, it was a lot of my self-seeking behaviors came in that. Some of it was, um, you know, going to the food just to placate, just to kind of numb the feeling. Um, and then what should I have done instead and um, it was always I should have trusted and relied on infinite God rather than my finite self. And, um, you know, it says, you know, we never apologize to anyone for depending on our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is the way of strength. And boy, have I, boy, do I see that. You know, and that's where all men of faith have courage to trust their God. We never apologize to God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. And by doing this, it then says that once we commence to outgrow fear. Well, you know, for 13 years, being abstinent and working, you know, steps as I thought I was working, I hadn't outgrown fear. I was still self-reliant and trying to push my will to not feel afraid. And now 
I have this new way where I trust and rely on God, and I and I say that, and um, and then I, the next part was, well, what would be different if I trust and relied on God? And a lot of that would be I would I would be calm, I would be relaxed, I would just do the next right thing, I would be thanking God for all the blessings He's given me. I would be focusing on God. I'd be focusing on the solution and not on the problem. So that was the um, the fear inventory, and that was very powerful for me, definitely, because I saw, I didn't know I was still being self-reliant, and, and that's how denial is huge in my in, in me. Um, and then next was sex inventory. And what, really what this was, um, you know, it was about my conduct to others, and um, I know we're we're really running out of time, so I just want to say um, I too went right from the I was given directions from the big book to um, look at you know people um, that I had um, that there would be some that sex relation. Um, so this is specifically about. Um, People I had sex relations. I mean, it didn't have to be the sexual intercourse. It's any anything. It could be a crush, it was, but anywhere that um, it, it was in that sex relations category. And um, and then and then I just wrote like a brief history, just to kind of give a background about it, with my motives um, and what the specific sex conduct was, and anything major that came out of that. And um, you know, we and it says right, right here. And I, I do find this funny uh, that Phil W. Um, in the in the first one hundred put this on page sixty nine. I just thought I'd mention that about the text. But anyway, um, so you know, and it explains about you know, um, we we all have sex problems. Would hardly be human if we didn't. But what could we do about them? And um, and then we reviewed our sex conduct over the past year. So that's where I kind of put, we were told, just write a brief history about it. And then they, they, they right here on page 69, they give a paragraph um, on the questions. And I answered the questions. The biggest thing, you know, where was I selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? So there's the harm. Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, and bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? And I love that. That's the turnaround. What should I have done instead? And always, and we've got this on paper and looked at it. So again, it's telling us to get this on paper. And what should I have done instead? Well, a lot, you know, trusted, relied, and depended on God. And a lot of times, I shouldn't have been in that situation. I, I shouldn't have brought myself to that situation. I was the one who brought me, myself to that but the big, one big um, awareness I had was my inconsiderate behavior, um, very inconsiderate. It was all about me. What was this person going to give me? And, um, and, I, and in other ways, too, um, the men, were, I didn't treat them like they were human beings. They were just there to give me what I wanted. And even when I, quote, thought they used me, I I was still looking for something. I was looking for them to fill a need in me. And I learned today that only God can fill my needs. Only God can fill my needs. And then the next paragraph, it says, in this way we try to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. And my sponsor had 
then giving me the direction. After I went through all my whole list, answered those questions, um, went and, and said um, to uh, write a sex ideal. And, um, and so I wrote, you know, how I wanted to conduct myself um, in my relationship um, and interactions with others. Um, and they, and she also said, you know, also do it, you know, it doesn't have to be just in your sex relation, but in all. And, you know, and this is where, you know, I want, I want to be, you know, honest and, and considerate of others and think of others. And, and it was actually, it, again, um, over and over, anytime I wrote, I, I said the third step prayer, I invited God in and I waited for his direction and then wrote, and this in a major way, um, God helped me. Um, be and um, and of course in my in my ideal was that I was I was going to God first and and from God's love and comfort and getting all my needs met through God then I wanted then to go to others to give to them so I was not looking for that other person in, in that relationship to give me something I was coming from abundance to give to them and um, it was just very powerful. Um, and since that time, I've been, um, you know, sponsoring, bringing women through these steps, and it's been even better. I'm getting even more benefit out of this fourth step by giving it to others. And I am so grateful for this big book. And it's clearly right from the book we get our directions. I'm not making anything up. My sponsor didn't make anything up. And, you know, my ideal is what I go toward every day. But I have, I have a purpose today. I have principles I live by today. And my life is better than I ever dreamed, than I ever dreamed. And thank you so much um, for taking the time to listen. And um, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Judy. I apologize for the background noise. I am going to mute the line at this time. Thank you to all our speakers, uh, Sarah, Rick, Judy, S. this morning. Thank you so much for offering your experience on Step 4. We now open the line to any questions you might have. You can press star 1 to unmute and direct your question to any of our panelists this morning. Once you're done sharing, uh, please Mute your line once again so we can have a quiet meeting. Everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Thank you. Any questions this morning? Press star 1 to unmute. Hello. Um, yes, this is Rose. Um, I do have a um, question, but before I ask it, I just want to say thank you to Sarah, to Rick, and to Judy for what you all just in such depth shared from your experiences here. Um, I'm in the fear part of my own fourth step, and the question that I had um, for all three of you or whomever um, is something that Sarah said that is like so with me right now, which is um, she, she said there was one core fear, which is um, feeling being cut off from God and being alone, and um, 
having listened very closely to what all three of you just said from your experiences, I can hear in my ears and and in my heart that there is another side to where I am right now. But the question is, um, you know, while writing the fourth, I'm almost right at the end of my fears about to start the sex part. And um, the fear is at its height. So if you have anything to share, I'd, I'd appreciate it. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Rose. Sara, would you like to respond to that question? Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Rose, for um, exposing the truth of that for you right Excuse now. me, Sara, one moment. There seems to be some static on your line. Could you speak? Is that better? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you, Rose, for for sharing that truth. Um, For me, what I needed to learn, um, and in doing this inventory, what really came out for me was that, um, was the awareness that I could, I could transfer that fear of being cut off from God to, um, to a love, you know, to replace that fear with love and the recognition of God's love for me and by putting me in this place of doing this work, it's very vulnerable. I, I, I honor where you're at because it's a very raw and vulnerable place. But the more that I affirmed God's love for me and my love for him, it gave me the strength to um, to step up and, and, and decide to be now of service to him and by being of service to him I remain connected to him and um, so I don't have to be afraid because it's part of the lie that's the dishonesty the dishonesty one of my fears was being unworthy that I'm not worthy and you know I had to learn my sponsor really had to remind me that that's that's also um, a form of a lie. That's a lie that the disease wants to tell me is that um, that I'm not worthy and that I'm not good enough and that I'll never be good enough. And I had to, um, through this process of staring at it, I needed to look at that squarely in the face and, and see the truth for what it is, is that um, God loves me just like he loves you and he loves you just like he loves me. And as and when I um, humble myself to him and stop and I, you know, what's the ego? The ego which was driving my life, easing God out. Um, and I humble myself to to just ask him for direction on how I can be connected to him and how I can be of service to him. Then I trust that um, that connection will only get stronger. Does that help or answer your question? Yes, very much. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Any other questions this morning? Press star 1 to unmute. The topic is step 4. Hi, this is Carolyn. Carolyn, good morning. Go ahead. Morning. I more have a comment than a question. 
I just wanted to say thank you to Sarah, Rick, and Judy. That was so beautifully done and so completely explained in three different ways. And, and it just brings to me again the fact that we can all look at the same thing with different eyes and get to the same place. Thank you so much. With that, I pass. Thank Hi, you, Leia. Carolyn. Margaret. Margaret, your Hi, turn. Thank you so much. Thank you, all three uh, panel speakers. This was absolutely wonderful. I learned so much from each one of you. Um, I do have a question for Rick, if he's still on the line. And that is regarding the yep. bullet points that he mentioned, or that you mentioned. Um, I think I know the forms that you are speaking of, but I'm not familiar with the bullet point form, so maybe it's something I've missed. So maybe you could explain that a little bit better. Again, thank you all. It was so wonderful to hear three different versions of uh, Step 4, and I pass. The... Um the bulleted points I was talking about came from my sponsor, and they were underneath um, uh, the words words fear and self-seeking and dishonest and selfish, and it gave, you know, 10 or 20 different ways of looking at those words um, so that we didn't um, just go into the meaning of the word that come to mind right away, for, like selfish, you know, want that extra something or that extra dollar. But, um, you know, selfish is, is more about, you know, getting my way and uh, wanting people to behave my way and things like that. So it was something my sponsor gave to me. It was not uh, from the the, uh, the website where I got the forms. Thank you, Rick. Hi, this is Kathy in Boston. I have a question. Go right ahead, Kathy. Thanks, Leah. Uh, thank you all three of you. It was wonderful to listen today. And my question is this: I completed a very thorough fourth step about um, well, it must be five years ago now, and uh, since then. Uh, really got lax about working steps 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis. And as a result, my spiritual fitness really suffered. I have since uh, reconnected with my big book sponsor, and I am trying to do steps 10, 11, and 12 rigorously. But I wonder whether any of you ever go back to read your fourth step. It occurred to me that that could be a useful thing to do, but maybe not. So I would be curious to know if any of you have done that. Thank you, Kathy. Any response to that question from our panelists? Uh, this is Judy. Um, hi, Kathy. Uh, Hi. Good to hear you. Hi. Good to hear you. Um, I have not um, gone back. I, I think because I I do um, like on um, 
on the on the eleven step review questions at night. I do that um, pretty regularly at night, and um, that I'm so that and so if I have resentment, I do how I said, you know, the, the turnaround on it. I ask myself, where have I been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and afraid? And then I do a fear. Then on those fears, do the fear inventory. So because there were patterns, and no, and I I was not cured by step four. It wasn't that, and and five, you know, going through the steps doesn't cure me of these um, of what blocks me. I mean, definitely, I then go to six, seven, you know, and ask God to remove and and humbly ask. And but there are kind of theme songs. <laughs> I have theme songs, and so a lot of times, like. The certain, you know, fears still are with me because God has not, you know, they're, maybe they're useful, I don't know, but I keep, you know, asking. And, but doing those, that, those review questions that night and then also bringing people through having sponsees that I have right now um, four sponsees on their fourth step. So I'm, I'm getting sort of it again with helping them through it. So it keeps it, keeps it in my mind uh, so that I'm looking at my own behavior and thought patterns um, and then asking God for help. Um, because when I'm working with people, I have to always have God as the third. So that I have not had to go back. The only time I've gone back is to give them an example um, or I'll show them like how I set it up in my book or um, some like just an example. This is one of my, um, you know, take them through the whole thing from the cause you know, all the way through the um, the questions. So that's that's what I've found helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Did any of the other panelists wanted to want to respond to that question? Well, I find that, uh, like Judy said, she's gone back to her to give examples to sponsee, and I found that very uh, helpful, not only to him but to me. It uh, it reminded me of of my defects of character and the, the wrongs that I was trying to correct. So, um, but I, I can't say that I've ever gone back to it for any uh, specific purpose. I mean, it seems like when my mind is jogged, I might go back to it. Um, you know, did I write about this? Did I write about that? But it is, that's one of the benefits of sponsoring. It forces us to revisit our own work in order to pass it along. So I'm glad Judy mentioned that. Thanks. Thank you very much. Any other questions this morning? Oh, I'm sorry. Sarah, did you want to respond to that as no, well? No, they, they did great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Apologize for cutting you off there. Any Anyone else have questions this morning for our panelists regarding Step 4? Good morning. Hi, I, I believe a couple people came in. Uh, try again. I didn't catch names. Susan? Debbie? Susan and Debbie, if I'm hearing correctly. Susan, why don't you go ahead and start? Great, thanks. Mine is a quick one. Um, first, I just wanted to say it was just really wonderful, reiterating what others have said. Hearing people talking about the same step, doing it, the big book style, but bringing their own um, their own take on it. It it really was wonderful 
and beautiful to hear and very timely since that's uh, what I'm starting to do now. Did one um, the OA way, and now I'm doing it uh, through the uh, through the big book. But so the quick question is specifically: I had a question for Rick that I wanted to ask him off offline or off the phone, and I was wondering if he uh, is willing to give out his phone number. Sure, five zero eight six five four. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Rick. We'll get everybody's number at the conclusion of the Step 4 panel. Thank you. Uh, Debbie, did you have a question? Yes, thank you. This is Debbie from Georgia. Um, I heard at least two of you, and I'm not sure if all three of you mentioned the big book step study um, specific format of meeting that you've um, gone through. And I was um, wondering if there are um, either OA or AA big book step study meetings, um, either phone, whether you think that, feel that phone meetings of that type are work as well as face-to-face um, and where I would find meetings, either face-to-face or phone, for those. Thank you. Um, I can speak to that. There are two um, all-addiction, this is Judy, um, all-addiction big book step study meetings. Um, One's at uh, 3 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon, and that's also recorded. And then there's one Sunday night at 8. What you can do is call me. And um, and I can give you more specifics. Um, and I know, uh, I mean, if you can get to, you know, live, um, I did for many years the AA, and then um, about a year and a half ago started an OA, um, the book set study meeting in my area. Um, so, but I'd be happy to give you that information on those phone meetings. Thank uh, you. you said we'll give numbers later. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Anybody else want to respond to that question? Yeah, this is Sarah. I just um, one of the things that I really appreciate in uh, in OA, or or at least in my process with this, I had tried to do. phone meetings around step work and for me what really um helped a lot and and it took me a lot to get over my like feeling different and and like guilt around this is that the the group meetings for doing the step work did not work as well for me as doing it one on one i really really needed to do this work one on one and I needed to let go of feeling like I had to be like everybody else who was doing it on the meetings and, you know, doing so well with it. I I really needed to do this work with a recovered sponsor on on my own, looking squarely at my own life, and um, which was very healing for me. It was very, very healing for me. And using the meetings like a vision for you, which has become such a vital, important part of my life because it helps me in in doing the work. It helps me listen 
to understand the big book as the textbook and and gives me new insight on how to do this work um, and how to process it in my own life. But to the actual step work, I really needed to do one-on-one. So, you know, for those out there who who do need to, to do that one-on-one, like not to feel bad because it just the the group setting didn't work for me in that. And if I could, I just want to make sure, um, um, this is Judy, the, uh, the big book step study meetings, we do it one-on-one with it. No, we don't go together through the steps. You do do it one-on-one with the sponsor, which is different from a lot of OA 12-step groups where you kind of are on the same step at the same time. This is um, the way I was given it. It um, is one-on-one with the sponsor, but the group, um, and you'll see on the meetings that you, you, we go through the, um, the 12 steps that are laid out by step by step, but people are on wherever you are with your sponsors, where, um, what you're doing. It's, it's not the group going through it together, but it's an extra support of other people doing it as well. Thank you, Judy, for clarifying that. Any other questions this morning? Press star one to unmute. Three panelists. This is this Debbie. Morning. Hi, this is Helen. Uh, Debbie and then Helen. Uh, Thank. You. Yeah, this is Debbie. I was wondering if anybody knew how to convert the PDF file for the Big Book Four Step or any online Four Step inventory to uh, Word. Uh, how about if we uh, exchange some phone numbers on that matter uh, okay. at the conclusion of the meeting? Thank you so much. And Helen, to you on your question, please. Hi, I had a question um, really geared towards any of the panelists. What is your view on complacency? I'm having a problem with that right now. I've just done my fourth step with my sponsor, and I did it as outlined in the big book like we just discussed. Um, I'm having a problem, I don't know, it keeps on coming up. Um, I'm having a problem with complacency and I'm correlating it to um, almost to, I don't know, I'm getting to this point and now now it's just going to be fine and I don't have to do anything anymore. I, I don't know how to work that out and I'm just wondering if I can get some feedback. Thank you. And I want to say thank you for your service. It was really very beneficial to me. Thank you, Helen. Panelists, who would like to respond to the topic of complacency? Um, I, this is Judy. I guess, um, yeah. Um, oh, oh, go sorry. ahead, Rick. No, go, Rick. I just didn't know what you meant by complacency. I mean, uh, that's a broad term. Could you be more specific? Um, I think, I think for me, I'm viewing complacency as is just just kind of staying stuck, um, and I'm seeing that I get to a certain point, and you know, I get to that point, and it's like, oh, I'm okay, and I get very um, uh, comfortable, and I and I become very complacent there, and I think. 
in doing the step four, it shows me that I have to keep on evolving um, always. I just can't stop at a certain point. I have to keep on going. Even if I do get, when I do get to the spiritual awakening with my higher power, it's always, I'm always going to be doing this all, all the time. And I think I'm just getting kind of stuck there. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, Have you complete? Go ahead. I, I guess the answer is yes. We're going to be doing this all the time. Um, okay. I, I I think I've accepted that, and I'm I I kind of enjoy the idea now. Okay, I I do too. That's that's exactly what I needed, and that's so I know that I I think I see now that the complacency for me is a is a major character defect. Thank you for helping me work that out. Thank you, Rick. Anyone else? Questions on related to step four? Hi, this is Nahama. Good morning. Nope. Go ahead. Good morning. So I, I hope I, first, first of all, thank you for all the panelists. You know, it was very helpful. The other thing is, I hope I can put it into words the way it's floating in my mind, but I hear all the time on the meetings how through the process of recovery you get rid of the obsession of the mind, which I understand the obsession of the mind is not just about the food, it's about behavior, it's about the way I choose to do things, by the way I think. And my question is, like, when you go through step four and through the other steps, Saying that, you know, God restores us to sanity after we recover, what does it mean about the obsession of the mind? I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm not expecting not to be human after that and be like a bionic woman. I just feel like, what really happens? Like, do you have less resentments? Do you have resentments in a di- different way? Do you still have fears that, you know, you took care of at first step? Do they come back? Do they come back the same way or different or not at all? Because where where there is God, there is no fear. I'm just I'm just wondering what what really happens after that process. I mean, I understand there is steps ten and eleven, you know, to take care care of what whatever comes up. But is is a person that recovered in a different place in his life since he went through step four and went through that process and he returned to sanity? and the obsession of the mind was taken care of. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Judy, 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 go ahead. Okay, thank you, Leah. Yeah, definitely, like just doing step four um, and even step five, I I really had to, you know, work, you know, six, seven, eight, nine. um, And it is true in the big book when it says, you know, step after the, the promises come after step nine. But in addition, um, I'm still doing a step 10. You know, living in step 10, 11, and 12 is what keeps me connected to God. And, you know, I'll have thoughts. Just yesterday, I um, some it was a family situation, and I didn't know what to do. And I started, you know, like trying to figure it out in my head and getting fearful. And so I made a call. And on the other, I have people I call to do step 10 work with. And um, and it's not something formal. I just call and say, you know, this is 
what's happening and they help me see where it where I am selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and afraid. And it always comes down to my fear. And then um, I'll then, okay, it's my fear. So what do I do with my fears? Well, I know self-reliance fails me, so then I go to God. And it just gives me, by doing this four-step and over and over learning how to look at this, get the diagnosis, which is self-centered fear usually, um, my selfishness, self-centeredness, and knowing the solution, which is God. But that doesn't automatically happen for me. Like I, I need God and another person sometimes. Sometimes I'm young, stuck in my head and I'm obsessing, worrying. And so if I, I try to go right to God and sometimes that, because my head's so obsessed that I then know, okay, make a call. And I know people that, you know, know this process and know that God is the solution and that it's my, it's my thinking um, that then that helps. And then sometimes I still have it, and then at night I then do some writing on it and again ask God to remove it. But I definitely, I'm still human. I still get, you know, stuck in, in my mind. But it is so much better than it was. And because I've had practice on what to do and how to go to God and how to, and then I, a lot of times then I'll pray and then, um, and you know, focus not on the problem or what I'm obsessing about, but focus on God. And then, then right from there, how it says, you know, we don't stay in remorse, we then go and help someone else. And um, truly helping others is getting out of myself and helping others also gets me out of that obsessive mind. But it's so much better. And I go now to God, not to the food, and not even a lot of times I don't need to go to other people to answer my my solution. It's, it's God. But this process helped me to um, know how to do that. Thanks. Thank you, Judy. Any other questions this morning before we did Hi, this is. Hi, this is Heather from New Jersey. I have a question. Go right ahead. I'm wondering how um, any of you, and and by the way, thank you all so much, all of your um, uh, feedback and and instruction was uh, very helpful. Um, But how how do you handle issues that might come up around other addictions that might involve other other twelve step programs, other fellowships, and, and do you did you have any of that? And did you have to do you know a separate inventory, or did you did you somehow include that in? Thank you. I pass. Thank you, panelists. Anyone like to respond to that question? This is Sarah. Um, so, you know, I've dabbled in other, um, you know, I have seen a transfer, uh, transfer incident and somebody had once mentioned to me that there's a lot of overweight people in an AA. Now, I'm not an alcoholic and alcohol is not my, um, particular drug of choice, but I know that I've always had issues around money and I had gone to a few DA meetings, but one of the things, so that my sponsor had me do when I did my step work was I needed to write a list, um, 
you know, because the addiction is only mentioned or um, the compulsivity and the behavior is only really mentioned in step one. The rest of the process is the same, and the other um, anonymous programs really use the big book as the program of recovery. It's what it is. So in step one, is um, we admitted we were powerless over, so we say, food, and our lives had become unmanageable. What I needed to do, um, because my whole life was unmanageable, my whole life, and and I could see that like, I put down the food, so then I'm going to go shopping, or I'm going to spend, or I'm going to have an unhealthy. And if you read in the AA 12 and 12, where um, and in the developments, but it, it talks about um, one second. I'm just finding it financial, you know, financial insecurity, um, those kind of things. Really, I could see that you know the sickness was not limited to food. Food is just a symptom. I had to get down to causes and conditions. So those same causes and conditions were going to either drive me to the snack cabinet or were going to drive me to the mall. And um, so in my step work, I needed to look at, I made a list. I had to make a list of at least 10 things over which I was powerless. And, and food was just one of them, was just one of them. And um, and how they made my life unmanageable. So when I did my step work, um, it really was a comprehensive work of looking at my whole life. What are the things that I'm powerless over? And um, and how do they make my life unmanageable? And then having to look, you know, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Sanity wasn't only going to be created by putting down the food. I needed to create a sane life in all areas of my life, and I needed to see where where it was insane, and I needed to um, to do that and to look at certain behaviors and um, well, you know, it's not perfect because I'm still human and and um, but I'm aware and I'm conscious of and I and I know where I need to just let go or I see certain things coming up and say, mm, this is not, this is not the way to go. Um, and, and the meetings do, I mean, big book studies, you know, for me really helped me look at the whole, the whole picture. But um, the, if the using the resources of your particular tendencies of those programs, there's hundreds of, of 12 step work programs you know, looking at your tendencies of where you veer to and using their resources um, was was helpful for me, was helpful for me a lot. And um, But at the same time, you have to just be careful because I could put myself in a lot of these programs and, you know, to try and do too much at one time will end up getting me nowhere. So I just need to be patient with myself and, and put down, you know, put down the food and just, you know, carefully you know, like walk with God and ask him to show me gently what I need to see so that I can have right living. And, you know, it's a process. It's, it's a process, and I'm still in that process. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Sarah. Any other questions this morning related to step four? This is Maggie. Um, I believe it was Judy who mentioned a little red book, and I was curious about that little red book. What is it? Thank you, and I pass. 
Um, I'm just going to have to run upstairs to look. Um, but it's it was, it's done by Hazelton. Um, I can call you personally. Sure, yeah, why don't you just call me? That would be great. Thank you, Judy. Yeah. Okay. Okay, pass. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you to Sarah and Rick and Judy F. for all your preparation and time and effort relating your experience on step four this morning. We're going to close the meeting now uh, with the reading of page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.